Hey, this is Chelsea Emery from Christ Walk Church, and this is our podcast. For more information about our church, visit thechristwalk.com. We hope this message encourages you to live for something more. Thanks for listening. It is great to be in the house with you all this morning. Today we are in part two of a series that we're calling Over It which stems from an invitation that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 11, where he said this right here. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. Am I talking to anybody today? Anybody feeling a little bit weary? Anybody carrying a heavy burden? Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you that elusive thing that we know as Rest. Last week in part one of this series, we talked about slavery and the fact that you and I, whether we like it or not, we will be a servant of something and that we will either choose to serve mammon, who is the false god of earthly success and gain and wealth and security, or we will choose to serve God. And that only one of those pursuits, either mammon or God, can have first place in our hearts because we learn that it's impossible for us to serve two masters. And if we choose mammon, the end result for us is going to be death and destruction. We read that in the scriptures over and over and over again last week. But if we choose to do things God's way and for our pursuit to be him and, and for him to have first place in our hearts, then the end result will be an abundant life that is full of righteousness. And ultimately, what we discovered together, to put it very simply, is that By doing things our way, we end up with what is worthless. But by doing things God's way, we end up with what is priceless. And as I mentioned last week, each installment of this message series is going to build on the week before. So if for some reason you missed last week, that's okay. It's available on our YouTube channel. I would highly encourage you to go back and listen um, after this message so that you can connect all the dots and tie things in. But Now that you and I, we've identified the issue that we are facing, the fact that we're being pulled in one of two directions, either to pursue God or to pursue mammon, that our pursuit of mammon is what's causing us to be so busy and tired all the time, that that today now we're going to take a look over the next today and then the, the, the next two weeks what we can do to to begin to break the bonds of that slavery to mammon and how we can begin to live a life that is truly over that slavery in our lives. So if you have your Bibles, you've got a smart device, uh, I want to uh, invite you to turn with me or swipe with me to the book of Psalms. Uh, the book of Psalms. Psalms is it's the, the largest book of the Bible, 150 chapters. If you're using a paper Bible this morning, one of these old dusty things like this that existed back when we rode dinosaurs to school, you know, um, if you're using one of those, uh, you can just open it up to really about the middle and you should be somewhere in Psalms. And we're going to find ourselves in, in uh, chapter 46 um, here in just a minute. Uh, but Before we get there, um, I was thinking this week that when I was a kid, 
Um, some of you are like, you're still a kid, or at least you act like one. But when I was a kid, my dad had a radar detector in his car. Um, this would have been in like the late 80s, early 90s. Like, are those still a thing? The radar detectors still, if they exist, I haven't seen one in a long time. And some of you are looking at me like, well, Pastor Blake, we would have no idea if an item of deceit like that still exists because we don't drive over the speed limit. In fact, we drive three miles under the speed limit at all times just to be safe. How dare you suggest or insinuate that we would be involved with any kind of activity like that. Uh, In case you're lost um, or you've never even heard about a radar detector before, what a radar detector was, it was was this small little device, maybe a, a little bit larger than maybe your cell phone or so, And um, you would attach it to the windshield of your car with three of the most powerful suction cups known to man, okay? And so you better get this thing in the right spot on the first go-round because it was never coming off. Wherever you stuck it, it was stuck there for good. I guarantee if we went to a junkyard, we would find vehicles in the junkyard that still have the brackets for the radar detector still stuck to the windshield, or, or at best, there would be the Mickey Mouse head residue you know what I'm talking about, like where they'd managed to pry that away somehow through the power of the Holy Spirit working within them. And the strength of Samson rose up and they were able to pry that off of the windshield. But then forever you had the outline of Mickey Mouse's head where those suction cups were. And so, so it, you stuck it to the front of your dash and then, and then you had, you had this, this curly uh, cord that would come out of like an old school like telephone looking cord. You know, back when you'd like be in the kitchen, but it'd be a private call and the phone would be in the kitchen and you try to stretch it all the way like to the living room or whatever and, and like around the hallway and zig- it was like one of those kinds of cables and you would plug it in to um, this device of evil known as the cigarette lighter. You would plug it in there and then, and, and it would have these lights on the front that would turn from like red to yellow and to green. And, and what this little device supposedly did was to detect when law enforcement would be shooting radar somewhere on the road up ahead. And, and when you were approaching this happening, the device would usually make some kind of beeps and boops and all kinds of noise, and the lights would go crazy, and they'd go from green to yellow to red, and it would make all kinds of alerts and, and everything. And, and, and the idea was is that if you had one of these suction to the windshield of your car that you could drive as fast as you want on the interstate, Because eventually it was going to alert you to the fact that there were police up ahead and you would be able to to ease off of the gas, maybe pump the brake a little bit and slow it back down to where you'd be driving the speed limit whenever you passed. And I can remember the radar detector that my dad had. It was especially fancy. And if I close my eyes, I can go back to 1991 my 10-year-old self sitting in the back of our Ford Explorer. I can remember the sights, the sounds, everything about that. We're zooming down the interstate when all of a sudden, not only would my dad's radar detector come to life with beeps and boops and the lights would go from green to yellow to red, but it had this extra special feature that was a robotic, like Stephen Hawking-esque voice that would come through this speaker that would say, be careful, Slow down, slow down, 
slow down. Be careful. Slow down. Slow down. Slow down. That's what it would tell you. And anybody who has ever had the honor of seeing blue lights in their rearview mirror, like some of the lead pastors of Christ Walk, I don't know who those would be. But if you've ever had the honor of seeing those blue lights in your rearview mirror, then you can instantly identify why this little device could be so valuable because it promises that we can push the limits, that we can overstep the boundaries, but that we'll never have to pay the consequences for it. But you know that that's an empty promise. You know that sooner or later, radar detectors stuck to the windshield or not, it's going to end in those tragic, blood-curdling, just words with an officer saying, license and registration, please. That's where it's going to end up. That's where this thing is headed and as I survey the landscape of our society and our, our culture today, particularly here in America, I see a lot of people, the overwhelming majority, myself included, that are living their lives the very same way that people with radar detectors drive on the interstate. We're living them pushed all the way to and beyond the limit, doing everything that we possibly can to escape the consequences on the back end. And here as of late, as I've spent time in prayer, I've spent time reading God's word, I've heard a still small voice speaking to my spirit that simply said, be careful, slow down, slow down, slow down. See, last week I asked for a show of hands and the vast majority of the people that were here, you raised your hand and you identified by saying that you would classify your life as busy. And you may not realize this, but busyness is actually a weapon that Satan leverages against us. Pastor Adrian Rogers, he said this about busyness. He said, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And see, this is where we buy into the lie that we talked about last week. Like, let's say that, that we're on our off day from work and we're sitting at home and, and we're, we're, literally, we're doing nothing. We are just resting. That's when the devil will start to whisper in our ear and he'll say things like, you're so lazy. You should be doing more. You are, you're just not enough. You're not enough. You didn't accomplish anything this week. And now here you are, you're laying on the couch, you're watching TV, you're, you should be more. You should be doing more. You are so lazy. You are worthless. And don't hear what I'm not saying. Laziness, it's a sin. Absolutely. The Bible is very clear about that. And there are, there are people all over that they, they try to rationalize their, their laziness, their inactivity. But a lot of us, we're trying to avoid being labeled by that moniker. 
Our intention is to, to not be lazy. We want to we put that to rest at all costs. We want to be a person of, of productivity and success and everything. And so isn't it funny that, that because of those good intentions that are in our hearts, that the devil will actually use one sin to push us into, the, the one sin that we're trying to avoid, to push us into falling for the trap of another one. So, what, what the devil will say is, is, because we're trying to avoid laziness, he will say, you are so lazy. And so that will end up getting us up off the couch and, and trying to cram our schedules and, and everything into doing more so that we can be more. And the pendulum swings all the way to the other side. In his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Comer says this, There's a healthy kind of busyness where your life is full with things that matter, not wasted on empty leisure or trivial pursuits. By that definition, Jesus himself was busy. The problem isn't when you have a lot to do, it's when you have too much to do and the only way to keep the quota up is to hurry. It's to hurry. Did you catch that last word there? Hurry. See, a lot of us, we can read that, and if it wasn't highlighted, if I wasn't, if I wasn't emphasizing, us, uh, emphasizing that word, we would, we would miss that word simply because hurry has become a commonplace definition for how we live our modern lives. Most of us have chosen to live in a constant state of hurry, and we have done this without even realizing it. Let me explain. Some of you probably said today, we've got to hurry or we're going to be late for church. Maybe you tell your kids, hurry up or you're going to miss the bus. We'll miss the previews before the movie if we don't hurry, right? You see a television commercial advertising a great new product. You better hurry because this deal won't last long. You're standing in line at Starbucks. Could you please hurry with my coffee? I've got to get to work. It's almost bedtime. You better hurry up and brush your teeth. And some of you right now are thinking, I wish he would hurry and get done preaching so that we could go eat, right? Do any of those sound familiar? Any of those? See, it's just, it's ingrained in our life and we don't even think about it. But here's what I've noticed about people who live their lives in a hurry. People who are in a hurry, there's one thing they're not doing, smiling. Think about it. People that are in a hurry, are they frustrated? Yes. Are they sweating? Likely. Are they cussing? Possibly. Are they yelling? Definitely. Are they happy? Not a chance. Not a chance. Jesus tells us in John 10, 10, he says, the thief is gonna come to kill and to steal and to destroy. We've already talked about how a life of busyness, the pursuit of mammon, that it, it leads to us being, being uh, it leads to death and destruction. So that's the kill and destroy part. But, but the question is, is that in that verse, what is, what's the devil trying to steal from us? And you guessed it, he's trying to steal our joy. He's trying to steal our happiness. And how does he do it? That's right. 
He does it by getting us to willingly choose to live our lives in a constant state of hurry. And this isn't going to be on the screen, but I think this is a really good statement. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. I'll say it a couple times. Hurriedness, hurriedness is the enemy of both our happiness and our holiness. Hurriedness is the enemy of both our happiness and our holiness. In fact, Carl Jung, a psychologist, he said this about hurry. He said, hurry isn't of the devil. Hurry is the devil. So then the question is, now that we've started to identify what's going on in our lives, we've started to identify that we've bought into the lie that living a life of hurry is going to get us where we want to be and that it's going to produce happiness and we've realized that that's actually an empty false promise, then what do we begin to do? What can we do to combat hurry? And the answer is pretty simple. Slow down. Slow down. That's the answer to combating a life of hurry. It's to slow down. And I know what you're already thinking. Slow down? Yeah, right. I don't have time to slow down. And you know what? You are exactly right. You don't have time to slow down. And the reason is, is because you have willingly chosen to live a life that's causing you to be overspent and overcommitted and overconnected and overworked, and it's led to you being busy and tired. That's something that you've made the choice, that I've made the choice, that we have made the choice to do. And the only way to change it is to stop choosing to live that way. It's right there for us. The table is set, but we constantly go over here and we're choosing this instead. And here's the reality of things. We can't make time. When God created time, he created all that there is. So you and I, no matter how gifted, no matter how strong, no matter how smart, There's nothing that we can do to make any more time. And even if we could, we'd just fill it up with a bunch of nonsense stuff that didn't lead to anything, and we'd find ourselves right back in the very same boat that we find ourselves in today. Overworked, overspent, overconnected, overcommitted, busy, tired, on and on and on. That's how we would be. I hear people say it all the time. Yeah, you're right, that message is good. You're, I need to make time for X, Y, Z, whatever it is. Yeah, you're, I, you're, yep, you're so right. Yeah, I should make time to, to, to do this. But guess what? They can't. they can't. You can't make time for anything. You can only take time for stuff. That's how this works. All of us, no matter your age, No matter your socioeconomic status, no matter your level of education, like any kind of classification that we could place on people, all of us, we've only got 24 hours every single day. That's it. We're all given the same amount. And since we can't make more time, then however we choose to spend our time means that we are choosing to to take that time away from something else. 
how we choose to, to spend our time, it's automatically taking time away from other things in our life. So, so the truth is, is that it's not a supply and demand issue because it's all that we all have the same thing and it's all out there for the taking. But it, it's not a supply and demand issue, it's actually a priority issue. See, however we choose to spend our time, we talked about this a little bit last week, however we choose to spend our time is predicated on what you and I value most. And every time we choose to spend our time doing one thing, it's going to directly affect the amount of time that we have to do other things. So we need to choose wisely. We need to choose wisely. Consider this scenario. Maybe, maybe this, this will connect with, with somebody this morning. Let's say that you choose to stay up late one night to finish binging a series on Netflix, even though it's not going anywhere. It's still going to be there, but you choose. I got to stay up. I got to finish this. I got to be in the know so that tomorrow around the water cooler, I can know what happened. So you stay up late to finish binge watching that series on Netflix, which results in you getting less sleep that night. So the next morning, you choose to hit the snooze bar a few extra times to squeeze in just a few more minutes of shut-eye. This causes you to get up late, and since you got up late, you're in a rush trying to get ready and get out the door on time. And as a result, in your hurriedness, you spill coffee all over your shirt and your pants and everything. And so now you have to stop and take the time to go and change outfits. And now that set you back even further, and so you're doubly in a rush. You haven't had your coffee. You're grouchy from the fact that you didn't get a full night's sleep, and the only way you've got a shot at making it to work on time is to drive faster than the speed limit. And this sounds like a great plan right up until you realize that in your haste, you failed to plug in the radar detector on your dash, and so you get pulled over and get a ticket by the cop that is shooting radar because you were not reminded to be careful and slow down. Now, that scenario may be a little extreme, but I think you get the picture. And chances are you've probably experienced something similar at least once or twice in your life. And in that moment, you likely had the thought that none of this would happen if only you had just a little bit more time. But that's not possible because we have all the time that we have. We can't make it. We can only take it. And since God created a fixed amount of time for each of us, I just happen to believe that the amount of time he gave us is enough. Assuming that we prioritize it correctly. And so rather than choosing... It's important for me to keep saying that because we've got to realize this isn't something that's being done to us. It's something that we are choosing for ourselves rather than choosing to live a life of hurry. Here is what the Bible says in Psalm 46 that you have turned to, the beginning of verse 10. Here's what the Bible says that we should do about it. Be still and know that I am God. Everybody say that with me. Be still and know that I am God. 
and you're like, really? That's what I came for today? That's what you're going to give me? You're going to tell me to slow down, and you're going to give me one simple little verse out of the old, like that's all that we're getting this morning, just be still? Yep, that's it. If you want to combat hurry in your life, and you want to slow down, those are the two things that we've got to do. We've got to be still, and we've got to know. That's it. If you're taking notes, those are my two points this morning. It's really simple. I'm earning my theology degree today. Be still and know. See, when we, when we take a look at that, that word be still, uh, those, those two words be still, it's actually one word in the original Hebrew. It's rafa. Everybody say rafa. Rafa has a couple meanings, a few different meanings. Among them are two that I really, really like. Rafa means to relax and let go. Relax and let go. That's what be still means in Psalm 46. If we were reading it in the Hebrew, we wouldn't read it be still. We would read it relax and let go. Think about it. You can't relax unless you slow down. Nobody has ever been relaxed on a roller coaster. You are white knuckle gripped in. You're shaking all over the place. You're screaming. You're like, that is not relaxation. That's please God, get me off of this so that I don't die. That's what that is. In order to relax, you've got to slow down. Think about it. You're on vacation, right? There's no agenda. You're just going with the flow. You're not in a hurry to do anything or get anywhere because you're on vacation. You are relaxing, right? Or maybe you're at the spa and you've got those cucumber slices on your face, right, on your eyes. And, and someone named Sven is giving you a deep tissue massage. They're all named Sven for some reason. Even the women. I don't understand. Just kidding. They're giving you a deep tissue massage, and you got the little cucumber things on, and you're, you're, drinking, you're drinking water infused with a, a vegetable and fruit that you can't pronounce. You're not trying to hurry to get through that. You want that experience to last. You're, you're enjoying it because you're taking the time to slow down and it's so relaxing. Moms, maybe you get just a few minutes to yourself one evening and, and you're able to, to get into the bathroom without the children noticing and you're able to draw a bubble bath and you light some candles and the, you know, the lights are down low and you're just and it's, it's warm and, and, and cozy and everything. And Dad's taking the kids out for ice cream and you're just there. You don't want that to end, right? Because you're so relaxed. The only way we can do that is to slow down and relax. So be still tells us, Rafa says relax. And then it says let go. Let go. You know, when I see people that are in a hurry, when I'm in a hurry, I'm frustrated. I'm stressed out. I'm tense. You know what a, an indicator of tension and stress and frustration is? It's clenched fists. 
This is something we don't even think about, but it's just, it's something that's innate to us. Whenever we get in a, a tension, stress feel, like our, our, our fists, they just naturally tense up. But be still says, let go, let go. But can you let go of anything if you're holding onto it with a clenched fist? No, you're squeezing as tight as you possibly can. You can't let go of anything if you're holding onto it with a clenched fist. Guess what else you can't do with clenched fists? You can't receive something. This isn't the posture of someone receiving a gift. This is. Look at this. Notice. The same posture we use to give is the same posture we use to receive. If we're holding on to it, we're not letting go of it, then we can't receive. If we won't let go of it and give God control, then we can't receive the rest that he has for us. And it's this vicious cycle on and on and on because we've bought into the lie that if we hurry and we hold on and we have control that we can make it happen. But we weren't meant to live that way. We were meant to be a people who live their life being still, relaxed, let go. God's got this. Second thing, not only be still, It's also to know. And yes, it's important to be still, but if then we also don't know on the back end, we're we're missing a big chunk of it. And and know is the Hebrew word yada. Everybody say yada. You're going to learn some Hebrew this morning. Yada means to acknowledge and to admit. To acknowledge and to admit. What we're doing is we're acknowledging, God, your track record and what I read in your word and what I've witnessed in my own life and what I've seen through the testimony of the lives of those that are around me. Your track record speaks for itself and we begin to acknowledge that his way is a whole lot better than our way because we've come to the place where we realize, we recognize, we're acknowledging, God, when I do stuff my way, it leads to death and destruction. But when I do things his way, it leads to the abundant life full of righteousness. We're acknowledging that, but then we're also admitting, God, this is so profound, I know. God, you're God, and I'm not. You're God, and I'm not. So as I be still, as I rafa, and as I know, as I yada, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm letting go of the fact that I can do this on my own, and instead I'm placing it in God's hands. I'm I'm putting my yoke upon, like the, the, the burden upon him, and in return, just like we read from Matthew 11, Jesus promised in return, he's going to give me rest. What we're saying is, God, I acknowledge that your track record, it speaks for itself. Living your way is better than living my way. You are God and I am not. You are capable of all things. I'm capable of nothing. And so 
As a result, I'm choosing to surrender my life of hurry to you. And in its place, I'm asking that you would allow me to receive the gift of experiencing the happiness and the holiness of what it means to truly rest in who you are and live in accordance with your word. That's what it means to slow down. Since we can't make the time, we have to take the time to just be still, Rafa, and know, Yada, that He is God. We relax, we let go, we acknowledge, we admit. Going back to my earlier illustration, 10 years old in the back of my dad's Ford Explorer, screaming down. The interstate, maybe you've done this before too. Have you ever not looked out the windshield of the car, but instead you looked out the side window? You're driving down the interstate at 70, 75, 80, 85, 90, I don't know. Some of y'all are looking really guilty right now. Have you ever noticed that if you're looking out the side view and you're moving that quickly, that everything you pass by, it's blurry, and it's distorted, and you can't quite make it out. And by the time your brain recognizes what that thing might have been, you've already moved so far down the road that you're, it's, it's processing information so much that it just can't keep up because we're moving so fast. But yet if we slow down, the slower we get, the more we relax, the more we let go, Eventually we come to a stop. Guess what? Then we're looking out that same side window where before everything was blurred and distorted. Now, all of a sudden, it's in crystal clear focus. We can make out everything. Living a life of hurry causes those same issues. We are going so fast. Everything we come in contact with, every experience that we have, it's, it's blurry, it's out of focus, it's distorted, it's something other than what it was meant to be. And we simply are physically incapable. Take the spiritual side out of it. We're simply physically incapable of keeping up with it all. We just can't do it. But we choose to live that way and it spills over into our marriage and, and we're, we're living these lives with our, with our spouses and, and we're just kind of two ships passing in the night and, and every so often we manage to connect and it's, you know, your work thing and my work thing and this over here and that and, and it's just all hurried and everything. And we're just all constantly moving in different directions and it's blurry and it's distorted and we never just stop to focus in on what God wants for our relationship with our, with our spouse. Or maybe it's our kids and our families and, and, and we got soccer practice and piano lessons and on and, and this and that and school and homework and this and everything. And, 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 and then, then we, we don't have time to even gather around the table for just one meal together without cell phones and without the TV on just to sit there and enjoy each other's company. And then what we'll do is we'll make up the excuse, well, we can't get to church because that's our only day to spend together as a family. And I've just got to wonder, like, what kind of example is that putting forth for our children? And what you're saying then is that every other day throughout the remainder of the week, you're choosing something over what is more important for your family because you can't make time. You're taking it. And when you take it for one thing, you're taking it away from another. Come on, that's good right there. 
If we would just slow down long enough every week to gather around the table with our family just once, our household would change. I believe that. I've seen it in my home. And not only with our marriage and our relationship with our spouse, our relationship with our kids, our family, but gosh, how much does this spill over into our relationship with God? I can't help but wonder how many of us, we've got such a distorted view of God and his plan for our lives because we're in such a rush in the way that we choose to live that, that maybe we'll Zoom by him for an hour on Sunday morning or we'll say a quick prayer over a meal that was handed to us through a drive through window or we'll speed read a couple verses on the Bible app just so that we can check off the list and keep our streak alive. Maybe we'll get only a couple words into a prayer before we drift off to sleep or before that text message or email notification brings us to a different area of focus. It's not the way we were meant to live. It's not the way we were meant to live. There's a better way for us. And ultimately what we're talking about here today it's creating margin in our lives. Margin. Not the butter substitute, not margarine. Creating margin, like that thing on the side of the piece of paper. Margin is an amount of something included so as to be sure of success or safety. And see, when we live a life of perpetual hurry, what happens is, is it keeps us teetering on the edge. And one false move, one slip up, oops, it's over with. But when we live a life full of margin, it protects us. If I mess up over here, man, I haven't fallen off. I can come right back to the center. If I mess up over here, I'm not going plummeting over the edge. I can come right back to the center. And so when we live with a life without margin, there, there's no success and there's no safety because one false move, it's over for us. It's over for us. See, here's what I think God's really trying to say this morning. I would sum it up in this idea right here. It's that in a life without margin, God becomes marginalized. In a life without margin, God becomes marginalized. See, the more you and I choose to live a life of hurry, the more things get pushed further and further and further out to the edge, to the fringe. And a lot of those things will end up falling off of the sphere of our life completely, including and usually first, our relationship with God. Yes, God loves you, he does. But we can live a life that rejects that love. Because what you need to know is that God is not interested in being on the edge of your life. All God wants is to be the center of your life. And if he can't be that, he's not interested. 
If he can't be the center, he's not interested. He doesn't want to be just a brick in the foundation. He wants to be the cornerstone. The thing that decides this is how it's going to turn out. You lay that cornerstone, everything else is built off of it. And when you and I choose to lay down our slavery to hurry and instead slow down, when we choose to be still and know that he is God and that we are not, what's going to happen is it's going to bring him front and center into full view and complete focus. And when that happens, you and I will be able to become more and more like him because we'll be able to see him in the fullness of all he is, which is going to pull us away from living life on the edge. And it's gonna pull us to the center where he is, where there is margin and there's safety and there's security and there is protection. This is the life that we were meant to live. And it's in this place right here in the middle that we can truly experience his rest. Today's communion Sunday. If you've got wet britches, it's because you sat on this when you came in today. Hopefully you pushed it to the side so you can get this out. It's got a the bread wafer in the top. You just peel back the one thing and then the juice is in the bottom cup. So it's got two different things that we peel. The man's getting ready to lead us into worship. And I want to invite you to take this communion as a part of that time of worship. And as we take this communion, I hope that your prayer will be what my prayer is today. God, help me to recenter my life on you. God, forgive me for living a life full of hurry with your blood that was poured out on the cross for my forgiveness. Forgive me of living a life full of hurry and your body was broken so that I could be healed and made whole. God, as I take this body today, Lord, I pray that you would heal me of my hurriedness. God, help me to recenter my life on you. Forgive me for not living a life of margin. Heal me of my hurriedness. That's what I'm believing for myself today. As we participate in this communion together, I hope that's what you'll believe for your life as well. As we prepare our hearts for worship, can we pray? Heavenly Father, just thank you so much for the opportunity to be in your house. We thank you for the challenges that come to us from your word. But God, I thank you that we don't have to choose to live a life of hurry, Lord, that you've made a different way for us that it starts with us being willing to slow down. God, I pray that as we participate in this communion today, Lord, that you would truly transform our hearts. Lord, that, that we would refocus on you as the center of our life, Lord, and that as we slow down in this moment, Lord, that you would come into full view and focus and clarity. God, through your blood that was poured out on the cross of Calvary, Lord, I pray that you would forgive us of our sin, particularly that of living a life without margin. 
And God, your body that was broken so that we could be healed and made whole. Today, as we participate in this communion and we worship with these elements, Lord, I pray that you would heal and that you would make us whole in the area of our hurriedness. That once again, we would come into complete and total surrender unto you. It's in your most holy name that we pray these things. In Jesus' name.